Welcome to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with Eva Medelik. If you're struggling to stay ahead of your daily life challenges, you will want to listen close as Eva and her guests will help you address the most important priorities first. Now, here's your host, Eva Medelik. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. I'm Eva Medelik, and my guest, Stephen Washington, is the author of Recovering You, Soul Care and Mindful Movement for Overcoming Addiction. As a former professional dancer who performed on Broadway in Disney's The Lion King, oh my goodness, one of my favorites, his love of movement inspired him to become the highly acclaimed Qigong and Pilates teacher that he is today. Stephen lives a joyful life of recovery and is passionate about helping helping others as they navigate towards health and happiness. So welcome to the show today, Stephen. I'm so excited to talk to you about all things Qigong, Lion King, movement, recovery, all the things. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much, Eva. It's lovely to be here with you. All right. So I have to ask on a, on a personal note, what year were you in Disney's Lion King on Broadway? Well, uh, I started doing the show in late 2000, and I and I left the show in 2009. Okay, okay. So that my my kids were already grown by then, but we did see The Lion King on Broadway probably in the mid 1990s, I would say. So probably a few years before you got there. Yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about who. You are. Who is Stephen Washington, the person? Before we go deep into what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself and and your life and your loves and all that stuff. Well, uh, I'm 51 years old. I'm originally from Connecticut. I was born and raised in Stamford, Connecticut, but lived most of my adult life in New York City as a professional dancer. And I've been in California since 2011. I left New York after a long time because the New York has a has a has a great gift of loving you, but then chewing you up a little bit and then spitting you out. <laughs> you know, I feel you because we did the same thing. I worked on seventy uh, third and Fifth Avenue for you know fifteen twenty years, and. Um, then had a midlife crisis and one too many Februaries with ice cold and snow. And I'm like, okay, California, here we come. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And I started off my, the way I landed in California was the Bay area. So I lived in Palo Alto for a few years, taught at a Pilates studio. There was literally blocks away from Stanford. And that was a really wonderful soft place to land after 20 years of living in New York city. And then Absolutely. in, and then 20, late 2015, I met my husband, Lee Harris, uh, on, uh, on line on OKCupid. And once we met, we just were, we knew that we had been waiting for the other person. So it's like, oh, great, you're finally here. Let's go. And we've just built this really lovely life together where we get to do the things that we love, which is to uh, help people. And, and I help people through movement and, and other wellness practices. And yeah, and we live in the LA area with our two cats out in the woods and it's great. Yeah. Beautiful. 
So I noticed, you know, the book was about recovery and overcoming addiction. And I want to learn a little bit more about that journey for you and how it led to actually writing the book and and helping people recover from addiction. Sure. I'll give you I'll give you a what we do normally in 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 12 step recovery, we talk about what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. So I I was a kid in Connecticut, my my mother and my father, my father was a cop, my mother was a secretary and I have a sister. Uh, there's a lot of trauma in my family. My, my family, uh, there's just a lot of chaos and turmoil. And I was a very sensitive kid. And so a very sensitive kid has a hard time dealing with all that chaos and turmoil. Um, and then growing up, being a young black man and being gay added to what I was experiencing. So you can imagine that by the time I was 15, when I had my first drink, which was a beer, at a pub in Germany one summer, I finally felt like I could breathe. I felt like up until that moment, I'd been holding my breath. I felt like I didn't have to feel uncomfortable being in my own skin. I felt like I was able to be a part of the world and connect to other people. Because my nature is to be very, very uh, introverted. And I have some extroverted tendencies as well, but I'm, I'm at heart an introvert. And so alcohol just allowed me to feel normal, really, and to quiet my mind. And so I chased that feeling for the next 20 some odd years. Uh, moved to New York as a teenager and studied dance at NYU and had trouble being in the world even at that point. I had uh, difficulty being in school, some aspects of it, because I would walk into a crowded classroom of people I didn't know, and I would have panic attacks. And so I would have to leave, and eventually I would stop going to certain classes. And But the way that I coped with all that was to drink and was to do drugs. Now, fast forward through years of dancing in New York, um, which is a perfect career for someone who is dependent upon alcohol and drugs because there's always a party. There's always an opening night party. There's always a closing night party. <laughs> so I was all about that. Um, but dance was always something that made me feel better. It was my energy medicine before I knew what uh, energy work was. And I was able to do my job as a dancer and drink and use drugs. And I was a big party kid. I was a club kid in New York City back in the 90s. And I was able to do that without great consequence. Sure, there was a time I went out with friends and I drank and smoked a little too much and suddenly couldn't see. I literally lost my sight for a few minutes. You would think that would be enough to make a person say, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. But I went back to it as soon as I could. Uh, there were moments like that, but it came to a head for me back in 2000, I think 2002. I had just, I had been doing the Lion King for about a year and a half, almost two years. And there would be mornings when I would wake up and I would be disappointed that I was, that I actually woke up 
because I was just dying on the inside so much. I would look at myself in the mirror and couldn't recognize who I was because of the things that I was doing, the way I was behaving, um, drinking every night, using drugs and and uh, really pushing people who love me dearly away. So when I finally surrendered to the fact that I really can't go another day further like this, even though I, I can't imagine life without it, that's when I reached out to a dear friend of mine who was in recovery and he'd always been a shining example of what recovery could do for a person. He made it look so good. And so I reached out to him, his name is Craig, and I confessed that I had a problem. And he listened to me and he took me to my first 12 step meeting. And I basically just kept going back, kept going back, kept trying to follow suggestions and live life on life's terms when things would happen in life that I would normally drink over or use drugs over, figuring out how to live without grasping for those coping mechanisms. Because I drank and I did drugs to help me self-soothe and to help me self-regulate because I didn't know how else to do that. I didn't know that that's what I was doing, but I knew that it helped me just be in the world. And so walking this path and being led by my friend was just a life enhancing gift that I'll never forget and I'll forever be grateful for. Now, a lot of what I share in Recovering You comes from things that I learned in those early years of recovery, uh, whether it was through um, 12 steps or whether it was through working with my friend who was my sponsor or what I gained from years of therapy. But a lot of the practices like mindful movement and the Qigong and the self-massage and the breathing techniques and even the, the medicinal power of self-inquiry, all those things together are things that I found like 10 years into my recovery when I was in a crisis moment, when I was in Chinese medicine school and I'd worked so hard to get there only to realize that it wasn't what I wanted to do. And, and then at that point in my mind, I didn't know that one could change their mind, right? No matter what we decide to do with our life, we can always change our mind. We can always course correct, but I wasn't giving myself that grace at the time. And so it was probably the most stressful time of my life. And I thought I was going to relapse until these practices like Qigong came into my life. And I was able to manage that energy, that chaotic energy that was living within me that I did not know how to deal with. I didn't know how to deal with it sober. I was able to, to work through it and navigate it and decide and, and check in with myself in terms of what's true for you, Stephen, what is it that you want? What is it that you need? And it gave me the courage and the confidence to act upon that. And so that led me to understanding that those practices could help me from that moment on until the, the day I die. And that they're practices that can help other people, especially people in recovery, people who are struggling with addictions.
So that's really why I I created Recovering You because I wanted to share what's helped me and in part what's been freely given to me, I wanted to be able to share with others as well. So thank you for sharing that beautiful story, first of all, because you know, I hear in your voice so much hope and positivity through those dark times that there are tools that people who are struggling with finding how they can recover and stay in recovery um, to help them. Like you gave the example of being in um, Chinese medicine school and realizing like, "Mm, yeah, maybe not, but thinking (laughs) that you were stuck and go, you know, and then you've got the old coping mechanisms when you are in a place that is stressful, uncomfortable, or, or, or scary. And then you've got, new coping mechanisms to help you through a place that's stressful, uncomfortable, and scary. You've got choices, healthy choices versus unhealthy choices. So how do you now, I know you have the book, but how do you help others now besides the book? Are you in a a practice or are you professionally doing this work to help people in recovery? This book was originally, uh, the the makings of this book was originally an online course and it was originally titled Release, Recover and Renew. And I created that several years ago. And and I've been able, had the, uh, the great fortune of being able to take people through that material and help them wherever they are on their recovery journey. Now, these practices that I teach, I've been teaching for years online as well as in live events with my husband. And one of the things that I find interesting about people in uh, addiction and recovery is that we're all very sensitive people, very sensitive people. And when I was working with people at these events, I, I, I was working with a lot of sensitives and I could, I could see how this practice, these practices were really useful to them helping to ground them, helping to center them, helping to self-soothe. And so that's one of the way that I, one of the ways I've been able to put my work out in the world. And that's evolved into creating this uh, online membership community called SWE Studio, where I teach Pilates and Qigong. um, And I create wellness content. I have a library of hundreds of videos where I teach people these practices. I also use laughter medicine and dance, and I also share some of my writings. And it's a wonderful, wonderful community. I think about the work in Recovering You as one one way to give people self-care tools, especially helping people who might not have self-care practices. And I think of SWE Studio as kind of like continuing education. So that people can build, build on that even more. So what type of person are you for, if you will, and what type of person aren't you for? Because I heard you say um, pretty much, it sounds like you work with highly sensitive people. Um, Who should work with you and who shouldn't work with you? Let's put it that way in their recovery. Well, that's a really good question. And I think that the work that I do is beneficial to everyone because we all need self-care. I think many of us aren't aren't giving ourselves enough self-care and the practices in the book are are things that are truly uh, simple and quite accessible 
and quite effective. Basically, we all have to deal with stress and we all manage stress in different ways, but we all deal with it. And these practices are uh, incredible ways to manage and deal with stress. Got it. Got it. Well, this is a good time for us to take uh, a little bit of a break. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, when you're in a space of self-destruction, self-care is kind of the last thing on your mind. So let's talk about some of the practices in the book and how you can move from self-destructive behavior to self-caring behavior. So we'll be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. What's stopping you from having more money, time, energy, and fun? Learn how to break through where you stop so that you can have greater success, better health, and happier relationships. Take this free quiz to identify what's stopping your success and learn exactly what you can do about it. www.evamedelec.com slash quiz. Having higher levels of energy is something you choose and condition, not something you have. Exhaustion has been a challenge for over two years now. This is the year you can choose to change. Here are five things you can start doing today to reverse the burnout, stress, and overwhelm that is keeping you from living a life full of good health and happy relationships. www.evamedelec.com slash reverse burnout. A peaceful life is something most people only ever dream of but can never achieve. Using tools from ancient wisdom can help you achieve that peace. Listen to the Peace Bridge Talk Show on the Voice America Influencers Channel to learn what those tools are and how to implement them. The Peace Bridge Talk Show, hosted by Amrita Kailas, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. You are listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with host Eva Medelec. Have a question for Eva or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5795. That's 866-472-5795. Now back to the show. Here again is Eva Medelec. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Stephen Washington, author of the new book, Recovering You. So we talked a little bit about what inspired you to write the book, uh, what your recovery journey was like. Um, You have a tagline in your book called Soul Care and Mindful Movement for Overcoming Addiction. And we talked a little bit about self-care and what that means and how do you get 
historically self-destructive people <laughs> in addiction to move to that soul caring and self-caring and mindful spaces? Mm, that's a beautiful question. Well, I think that the work that I do and the work in this book, I think it's helpful to everyone. But I will say this, if you are someone who is in an extreme crisis around addiction and great measures of intervention are required, I think of that as being like you sustaining an injury and needing to go to the emergency room to stop the bleeding. That's the first thing that needs to happen and to create some sort of stability before you're able to start to introduce practices like what I offer in this book. So I wanted to say that very um, clearly. A but little bit of a come to Jesus moment, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, you just have to set priorities. Now, the work that I do in Recovering You are things that are used in rehab facilities, for instance. I have a dear relative who recently uh, got sober and went into rehab. And so many of the practices that were taught there were like the things that I teach in this book. So there is a place for this kind of work. Uh, I think a lot of what I teach is mindfulness through this, through this movement medicine, through following the breath, through the self-massage, things like that, and also the self-inquiry. Uh, it's really important to give space to that. So for the people who are having, who are in recovery per se, and still trying to find ways that they can begin to take better care of themselves. They're out of that initial crisis. They're starting to live their life, their new life, but still struggling to ground themselves, to find some more clarity, to also develop a different relationship with their body. I think a lot of us in addiction also have trauma as part of our history and our story. And sometimes with trauma, we start to disconnect from the body. So there's a wonderful way that through this work to reconnect to the body. And if you connect to your body, you are also able to connect to your emotions. Yes. And you're also able to connect to your thoughts and your consciousness because they all work together. They're all connected. So it's that mind-body connection. What, what comes to mind as you're saying that is this is more... Uh, sustainable, consistent work after getting out of the crisis mode, if you will, like whatever mm -hmm. prompts you to, to seek help for the addiction and to start the recovery process, maybe a little bit more, um, like you said, emergency room orientated uh, as a metaphor, if you will. Yeah. Some people do actually end up in the emergency room, but some type of crisis intervention and then the work that you do, and correct me if I'm wrong, helps people sustain their recovery journey. It supports their recovery journey so that they can stay on the path to better health. Because I know you talked about uh, recovery from addiction being a returning to self. 
And like you said, people that are in the addictive state actually disconnect from their bodies. They actually are not caring for their mind, their body, and their spirit. They're really um, using pain medication, if you will, in the form of drugs and alcohol to squelch the pain of the trauma and the memories of the trauma. Can I add to that, Ava? Yeah. I, I also think that it, it goes beyond drugs and alcohol. I think that addiction is something that's just goes across the board. There's so many things that we could depend upon to help us feel better in our body and to be in the world that's an unhealthy dependence. And we see that everywhere, whether it's cigarettes or gambling or sex or or um, the internet, yes, social media, yes. work, all those things. Uh, we can use all those things to help us to numb out, to check out, to help us to uh, find some way to cope. But the thing is that they're not sustainable and they come at a very high cost. And I think that one of the great things about recovery and recovering you is that it helps people to return and recover parts of themselves that they lost to addiction. Because it is a trade-off. Do you find that people who have these um, less talked about addictions, if you will, whether it's food or gambling or sex or whatever, recognize that as an addiction, as a numbing out, as a checking out, as a um, an addictive habit, if you will, so that they could use the practices in your book to return to themselves? I think some people do and some people don't. I feel as though when it comes to like addictions to overworking, uh, addictions to social media, I think we are being conditioned to do those things, right? Working well beyond our own capacity, sacrificing our physical health, our emotional health, our mental health, in order to uh, achieve some sort of goal that's set culturally, right? And then also with social media, there's this frenzy to to keep up with one another, to to post and have the, the best life ever and to um, seek out approval and validation. And that the, any moment you get a like, you get that dopamine hit in your yeah, brain. Yeah, get that dopamine hit. Yeah, and so I think that- There was a study done, actually. Um, I can't remember the magazine, but they, they polled um, Twitter users and social media users that the people with the happiest posts with the best lives are the ones that are more depressed and more suicidal mm -hmm. and are really, you know, that's not true, kind mm -hmm. of. But they're posting the happiest pictures because that's what's expected and there's that competition. I mean, mm -hmm. we are living in some pretty dangerous times. And as we can tell by all the, the news and social media, the number of people who are dying from overdosing and and other forms that have to do with addiction even though everything looks fine on the surface you know is 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 shocking to me as yeah. someone who never really had uh that problem with addiction um other than sugar <laughs> mm -hmm. which i think um as americans we kind of all do but 
talk to me uh, and our audience a little bit about, you know, you talk a lot about this movement, this movement. How does movement facilitate our healing? That's a great question. So the physical body is, from a Chinese medicine standpoint, the physical body is a manifestation of energy, right? So there's physical energy of the body, and then there's also more subtle energies in the body, like our emotions and our thoughts. And one thing that we know about energy is that it's designed to flow freely throughout the body. But what can happen is, and a lot of this is due to stress and other things and unhealthy lifestyles and all, the energy gets stuck or stagnant in the body. So that could show up as tension, that can show up as pain. In some cases that can show up as disease. It can also show up as turbulent emotions or kind of this um, erratic thinking, uh, monkey mind. And one of the things about Qigong and other movement practices as well, the more mindful movement practices that invite us to slow down and pay attention to how we're breathing, pay attention to the sensations in the body. And when we do that, we, we move energy through the body. We help to, we help facilitate a release of that tension, a working through of that pain, even even some movement around emotional stuff that's happening and also just the ability to focus the mind. Um, one of the things that I think is really incredible about this practice of Qigong is that it gives one space. It gives one space in their body. It gives one space in their heart and it gives one space in their mind an ability to like, zoom out and see the bigger picture in, uh, in one's life. Because when we are in the thick of it, we're, we're, we're unable to see beyond our circumstances. And the thing about mindful movement, particularly Qigong, it allows us to really get a wider perspective. But we get that wider perspective by being very present in the moment and connecting to the breath. So for those of us who are not familiar with Qigong, can you describe it to us a little bit? Yeah, Qigong is an ancient Chinese healthcare system that combines flowing movement and standing postures and deep breathing, as well as focused intention to activate, cultivate, and circulate life force energy. And that life force energy is the same energy that keeps our heart beating, right? And, and takes care of all the functions of our body. And we can all benefit from more energy. Most of us say that we have we don't have enough energy. So Qigong is a practice of cultivating that energy and circulating it. When you look at the word Qigong, Qi means uh, energy or breath, and Gong means work or skill. So the practice of Qigong is a practice of becoming more skillful at managing your energy. Now, do you get a physical workout with it as well? There are lots of, there are tons of different styles of Qigong. I think there are hundreds, if not thousands of different styles of Qigong. And some have different focuses. Some um, are more like related to martial arts. Some are more related to just health and some are more related to, to spirituality. So depending upon what you're doing, it can be more physically challenging. It's one of those practices that is highly uh, adaptable and, and you're able to, to modify. 
I find for, for my body, for my energy, the perfect physical blend for me is to have my Qigong practice, but then have my other practices as well. That might be a bit more taxing for my body, especially developing my cardiovascular health. Um, but I think doing a practice of Qigong and even just walking 30 minutes a day can work wonders for one's overall health and well-being and mental health as, as well. So do you, in your book, are there some uh, Qigong practices in there that, that we can steal? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I'm giving it. You're not stealing it. You're, I'm giving it away. I know, I know. But I'm just like, <laughs> you know, I thought Qigong was more of a martial arts thing, mm -hmm. but a slow movement. When I didn't really have a full understanding. Um, so I appreciate you being on and explaining it for those of us who may have some preconceived notions are just not clear on what it is and what it does. And, and I'm sitting here thinking, I think I can do that because I don't have to really jump or, or, or do any crazy yoga stuff. You know, yeah. it might be something like you said, energy is movement and, you know, we, we generate energy. We don't have energy. A power plant generates it. So, you know, getting us to a place where our energy is unstuck and can move freely to give us to help us with optimum health is is very very cool so what is your favorite movement what is my favorite movement yeah. well just so everybody knows in the book there's a movement that i place at the end of each chapter because i feel like it's important to take all the teachings from the chapter and integrate it through the movement so one of my favorite movements in the book is shaking and it's where you shake out your arms and your hands and you just bounce up and down by pulsing through your knees and feet and you just breathe deeply as you shake your body. It's a great way to release uh, tension. It's a great way to release old energy. And when you're done, you get this incredible tingling sensation through your whole entire body. And you feel literally like the energy within your body has been activated. It's an incredibly powerful practice. I love teaching it to everyone, but I especially love teaching it to kids because kids, they are so like, <laughs> Sounds oh like fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, how long do you do that practice for? You know, because I, I, as soon as this is over, I'm going to try it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's, re it's a really effective practice to do like in 10 deep, slow breaths. Okay. Yeah, so it doesn't take long to access the power of the movement and I, that can be said about just qigong in general yeah. you can do a long practice if you have the time mm -hmm. uh, but you can also do a, a short practice of qigong that's five to ten minutes long and that will work wonders for you and so that's one of the things that i want to show people is that it's really an accessible practice for people to adopt and add to their life no i love it i'm always looking for extra energy generating tools and habits to share with my clients as well because you know part of high performance is really learning how to generate energy throughout the day so that you're avoiding the burnout and overwhelm that you know working too hard or overworking or becoming overwhelmed you know with the calendar and back-to-back -back meetings and all of that and just really creating you know five to 15 minute intervals in between each task and appointment that generates energy for you so that you avoid burnout. You don't 
yeah. have burnout. You don't have overwhelm. It's more of a proactive way. All right. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back with Stephen Washington, the author of the book, Recovering You. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. What's stopping you from having more money, time, energy, and fun? Learn how to break through where you stop so that you can have greater success, better health, and happier relationships. Take this free quiz to identify what's stopping your success and learn exactly what you can do about it www.evamedelec.com slash quiz Having higher levels of energy is something you choose and condition not something you have Exhaustion has been a challenge for over two years now This is the year you can choose to change Here are five things you can start doing today to reverse the burnout, stress and overwhelm that is keeping you from living a life full of good health and happy relationships www.evamedelec.com slash reverse burnout. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Are you ready to move to your next level? Listen for Empowering Women, Transforming Lives with host Rebecca Hall Greider. Each show will focus on a central topic with discussion, guests, and your questions being featured. Our show is perfect for women who feel a call in their heart to step out in a bigger, more powerful way in their life and just need some encouragement, inspiration, and practical steps to support them on their journey. Empowering Women, Transforming Lives can be heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. And join us for a replay of the show on Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with host Eva Medelec. Have a question for Eva or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5795. That's 866-472-5795. Now back to the show. Here again is Eva Medelec. Hi, everyone. We are back. And Stephen Washington, the author of the book Recovering You, is helping us with our addiction tendencies, how to move energy through our body, how to be on the road to optimum health, whatever your addiction is. So I want to go back to self-care a little bit, Stephen. Mm -hmm. How do you define self-care? And what advice do you have for those having a hard time incorporating a self-care practice into their daily lives? Because we have a lot of martyrs. We have a lot of lone wolfers. We have a lot of people who don't care enough about themselves. And it shows in how they treat others and how they show up in life. And I'm sure um, adds to their addiction responses. Mm. 
Well, self-care is anything that you do that helps, that tends to the health of your body and your emotional life, as well as your, your mental life, your, 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 your thoughts and anything that you do in a self-care practice that's effective is going to be different for each and every person. Uh, I think that for those people who are having uh, a difficult time with self-care or building a self-care practice, I always start by just saying, start paying attention to how you breathe. Mm -hmm. Breathing is something that we all do. We have to in order to live. I mean, we can live without food or water for a period of time, but you can't live very long without breathing. Um, so I want to I want to actually interject one thing because yeah. a lot of times you'll hear people refer to self-care as getting their hair done or their nails done. Yes, going to the gym is a part of it, yeah. a spa day, a massage, um those things which are a part of it. Yeah. It it is a small piece of making, you know, when you look good, you feel good about yourself actually but if we were going to you know peel back a little bit more of the superficial layers of how we look more into um how we feel and why we don't feel as um healthy and productive as we should be what type of self-care practices actually you know i know you mentioned breathing but what other type of self-care practices help us feel um, worthy, if you will. Oh, that's great. I think, yes, breathing, but I think self-care also includes how you eat. Like, what are you putting in your body? Love that. Love that. Yes. Because uh, it, yeah. honestly, when your cat is sick, right? And when mm -hmm. my dog is sick, what's the first question the vet asks? What do they, what do they eat? But yeah. when we are sick, nobody asks us that. Yeah, that's a really good point. So it's important how we eat, how much water are you drinking? Perfect. Um, how much caffeine are you taking in? Things like that. Also sleep. How are you sleeping? I think about, uh, I'm just suddenly reminded of diagnostic questions in Chinese medicine, because they ask you all those kinds of questions about how are you sleeping? How are you eating? Are you drinking? Um, how's your digestion, all those things, because it, it or self care, you're talking about working with a whole person, body, mind, and spirit. So you have to tend to all those different aspects of yourself. So going back to the breathing, like I said, breathing is really important. It's something that we all do, but very few of us do it very well. How often do you find yourself in the middle of something that's maybe difficult or stressful and you are holding your breath? Imagine if you could move through that challenging moment and continue to breathe, but breathing deeply and not just holding it in your chest because that just creates tension and tightness in your neck and shoulders, but really allowing the diaphragm to move and allowing your body to really oxygenate itself properly. That is transformative and it's so simple. And it's, I know it sounds too simple to be effective, but that's a really important place to start. What are some of the symptoms of someone who doesn't breathe properly? And I am I'm asking this specifically because I I remember when my husband was experiencing some panic attacks and 
he sought out, you know, acupuncture and Chinese medicine and, you know, even stretching lab and all of that. Mm -hmm. And they all came back with the same thing. You know, you're not breathing. You're not breathing properly. You know, I'm the one that's like, you're not hydrating enough too. And that, <laughs> and that could be it well. But what have you noticed with people who are shallow breathers, who don't take the time to take deep breaths and notice their breath and where their breath is coming from? Um, you know, I know we're talking specifically about recovery, but I know you've probably seen a lot in your practice and the people that you you help. What are you noticing is some of the symptoms of not breathing properly? Really good question. Well, first of all, I think there are lots of different reasons why someone doesn't breathe properly. I think there's yes. also some, some serious medical conditions that might contribute to someone not being able to take a deep breath. So you know, I'll leave that to doctors, but one of the things that I've noticed uh, from my work as a Pilates instructor and as a massage therapist is that when we, when we hold the breath in the chest, just muscles become tight. In order for us to really breathe deeply, muscles in the body have to move. And the primary muscle is your diaphragm. And if your diaphragm holds a lot of tension, it's not gonna drop down and create that vacuum for the lungs to fill with air. And then it's not gonna move freely up to expel all of the air. The muscles between the rib cage, the intercostals, when they're tight, your ribs can't expand. Um, one of the things about people who don't breathe deeply or have difficulty breathing deeply, you can just tell by their energy levels. When you have more oxygen in your body, when you breathe efficiently, you have more energy. Air is the most accessible form of chi that there is. Uh, and so those are some of the things that I've noticed from working with people around um, breath. And I love what I love to do when I teach is I'll teach a breathing exercise at the beginning of the class. And then I'll take people through certain movements and stretches. And then I take them back to that breathing exercise again. And I ask them whether or not they notice a difference in how they breathe just because of their, because they just move the body and stretch the body in a way that opens up those areas that were restrictive. So we talked a lot about movement, breathing, mindfulness. Let's talk about community now. And how important is community in the recovery process and, and why? It's, I love this. Well, an active addiction, speaking for myself, and also I think people that I've met and listened to in, in, in meetings and, and all, in active addiction, life can be very small can be very isolated. Uh, for me, my life became smaller and smaller and smaller because my drinking and my drug use became more and more of a priority. And the most important thing I could do for myself was to make sure that I got what I needed, get my fix, and uh, and I needed to do that in private because I didn't, I didn't want people to see, I didn't want people to see my mess. So, and I think that there's a lot of hiding, there's a lot of shame, um, there's a lot of fear. And one of the things that's, that pulls us out of that is community and connection. Had it not been for my good friend who showed me what a sober life could look like, I would not have known. 
and I wouldn't have been so attracted to it and walk towards it. And it's been such a blessing because it's something to be said about being able to be honestly and authentically who you are with another person, to feel seen and feel heard. And to also know that whatever it is that you're going through, that you're not alone. So how, how do you, you know, people who are used to being alone, this is just me thinking ahead, may have some resistance due to the shame, right, of, of being in community, even though you're in a community with other people who have experienced in some way, shape, or form what you're experiencing in the, in the journey. How do we loosen shame's grip on our lives so that we're open to being in community and getting help? Well, I think for people who are having an extra uh, tough time reaching out, I think it's important to start small smart start in small ways of connecting with with people that you trust people who have your best interest at heart who support you who love you that could be friends that could be family uh, that could be a therapist a counselor um just starting small i think in life you, you don't need a lot of people in your life in order for you to feel connected, in order to, for you to feel less isolated and also feel connected, but also feel safe. Because for people, isolation feels like safety, even though it's, even though it's, 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 it's not really helping you in the long run, but it, it's what you know, it's the devil that you know. So just starting small and connecting with people one of the things that I love about what this pandemic has has done for a lot of us is it, it, it made us all look within a bit more. And of course, we were going through that period of isolation. And what happened during that time is uh, support groups, 12-step recovery groups, a lot of them went online. And you're able to, from the comfort of your own home, with your computer or your smartphone, you can have your camera on and you can have your camera off, but you can connect with other people. Even if you don't say a word, you're able to be in a space with others um, who in a 12-step recovery setting know what it's like to be isolated. They know what it's yeah. like to be in your, in your disease. They also know what it's like to step out of that slowly and also build a life beyond um, the, the destructiveness and the self and limiting nature of active addiction. Yeah, because most of the people who expire from addiction expire alone. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not with a group of people who could help them. And so, you know, for anyone listening who is struggling with with addiction, you know, listen to what Stephen's saying and, you know, whatever small step you get to take, even if it's 
alone, but online in Zoom will be amazing for you so that you're not dying alone in your addiction. Mm -hmm. So how can folks get in touch with you and get their hand, their hot little hands on this book? Well, you can all go to my website, stephenwashingtonexperience.com. And there are links on my site where you can buy the book. You can also go directly to Amazon to purchase the book. And I know in other countries, there are other booksellers as well where you can buy online. You can check your local bookstores. And if you don't see it on the shelves, you can ask them to order it for you. I also have the book available on uh, Audible. So there's an audio version of the book. And that audio version also comes with uh, a PDF that contains all the illustrations uh, that are part of the book. And so you'll be able to follow along and and hear my voice, which some people say is a soothing voice to listen to. It's very soothing. I could listen. (laughs) You got to move back to the Bay Area so that I can visit you. Um, So the website is stephenwashingtonexperience.com. The book is Recovering You, Soul Care and Mindful Movement for Overcoming Addiction. Thank you, Stephen, so much for sharing your story, your journey, and how you help others recover from addiction, which seems to be in such a safe, loving, nurturing way. I mean, it's just like being held in a little soft cocoon blanket. So thank you so much. And I want to thank our listeners for tuning into our show today and on demand. I'm really grateful that you're listening and hopefully you can share this episode out with people that you know will benefit from it. So thank you so much. And I hope you join us again next week. And as usual, I love to leave us with a quote. This is from Anthony Doerr, All the Light We Cannot See. And this quote is, time is a slippery thing. Lose hold of it once and its string might sail out of your hands forever. So until next time, bye for now. See y'all next week. Thanks for listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with Eva Medelec. We hope we've been able to inspire you with today's show to take control of your own life and focus on the win. What's important now? Until we talk again, have a beautiful week. We'll be right back.